0: Good evening, it is 5pm and you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 11.9 FM, broadcasting from Lower Carothers Hall on Queen's campus in Kingston, Ontario. Today in YGK is brought to you by CFRC's News Collective. CFRC's news programming is made possible by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street and The Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. Today's episode features two special segments regarding the upcoming Queen's AMS elections, including the voting for the rector elections and the referendum which opens tomorrow and the delayed 2024 AMS executive election. To start us off, I'm throwing it to Dinah Jansen, sitting down with Calder Bryson, Chief Electoral Officer for the AMS.
1: Thank you so much. In our next segment, we have an exclusive interview with Calder Bryson, Chief Electoral Officer for the Alma Mater Society, where we cover electoral processes for the AMS Executive Team following the January 31st withdrawal of a team member from Team JNN, the potential impacts for student engagement with the voting process for the rector positions and fee-seeking clubs on the referendum ballot, and the importance of slates and neutrality for the AMS in the election cycles. Let's jump over now to our conversation with Calder Bryson. So things are developing quite quickly over at the AMS for the elections team. We do appreciate your time. Uh, Could you introduce yourself and tell us about your role within the AMS elections team?
2: Yes, absolutely. So my name is Calder, and I hold the title of Chief Electoral Officer Last year, I also worked in elections as a logistics and finance deputy, so this is a little bit of a step up for me, taking on a bit more responsibility. Um, As chief electoral officer, I essentially handle all things elections around Queen's campus, and this not only pertains to specifically like campus-wide elections, but I also manage the faculty, faculty society ballots, so if you've ever voted for anything within your faculty, I was arranging that. And then it's just a lot of logistical coordination, liaising with different individuals, preparing ballots, working on marketing strategies, trying to encourage students to get out and vote so we can see that nice high voter turnout. But yeah, it's kind of a little bit about what I do. This year, a little bit different. We've got a nice big ballot coming up. We've got, well, we should have had the executive on the ballot as well as the rector and all the student fees. So it's a busy time for us, for sure.
1: Thank you so much, and again, we do appreciate uh, your time during this extraordinary and very busy time for you and your team members. So uh, over the last couple of days, Calder, we understand there has been a withdrawal of a member from Team JNN, the only team this year running for uh, AMS executive. Can you explain for our AMS student listeners what this means for the remaining Team JNN members and their campaign?
2: Yes. So a few days ago, I believe, Wednesday now, um, Nico reached out to myself and to the secretariat, Alicia, and he expressed that he would no longer be able to run in the election and cited personal differences among him and his team members. Um, Obviously, he's allowed to do this. So we just kind of reached out. We said, thank you for letting us know. And then we booked meetings for the next morning with One meeting with um, Jason and Noah, and the second with Nico. Unfortunately, because teams are ratified as a slate, as a group of three, when one member drops out, the whole team is forced to withdraw from the election. Substitutions are not permitted, and this is something that we saw last year as well when Elizabeth was forced to drop out. Then her whole team, unfortunately, was removed from the ballot. So yesterday morning during our meetings, we essentially confirmed with Jason and Noah, that they understood they could no longer run for executive. And then we confirmed with Nico that he understood he could no longer run for executive. And this removed our last team from the ballot, which is unfortunate. And so this triggered the special assembly policy, which the last time we had one of these was 2017. And we're essentially working off that precedent moving forward. But what we're looking at now is kind of a A little bit more of a quicker process where there's a nomination period, followed by um, the absence of a campaign period, really. But the teams present themselves at the special assembly and in a presentation given to the voting members and any students that wish to attend. They explain who they are, why they've chosen to run and a little bit about their vision for the AMS. And in this time, they're also permitted to share any ideas they may currently be developing And then there's a questioning period followed by a debate and then voting members essentially vote them in that very night. So it's pretty quick now. But I think that kind of reflects the urgency that we're feeling in the absence of having any teams.
1: Okay, so thank you for that detail. So we do understand that the AMS has now also announced the reopening of nominations for AMS executive candidate teams uh, until February 9th. And uh, the journal has stated as well that um, in their February 2nd article that the fate of next year's executive team is going to now be decided at special assembly on February 13th. So can can you clarify a little bit more for our AMS student listeners what this means if an executive team is being selected at the special assembly? How will students still be able to participate in the elections process for the next AMS executive team?
2: Um, This second process that we've triggered, all students are welcome to run. And nomination period is actually a little bit less strenuous this time around. We've waived the requirement of having to collect signatures in order to make it a little bit more accessible and I want to say less intimidating to students because it's a little bit... Simpler, you can now self-nominate and present at assembly as a team. As for student voices being included, obviously you're welcome to attend the assembly, but it is largely driven by the voting members, and I think that's designed to kind of reflect a need to have a team put in place. However, I will say, let me open the policy here quickly, there's a special instruction given to voting members on how they're supposed to cast their ballot at the end of the night, And reading from the policy, I've got members shall vote with a view to the best interests of the society rather than a particular constituency group or affiliation. I think this is really just designed to keep the students general interest at heart and make sure we're selecting a team that's going to be beneficial for Queen's University as a whole and not just any one particular group.
1: Okay, thank you very much. And now uh, our question for you is, what impact will reversion to the appointment of the executive at the AMS Assembly have on student engagement with the rector election and club fee referendum processes still underway on February 6th and 7th?
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that we still have a, a higher voter turnout for this ballot than we did in the fall. And I generally think that our efforts are all still in place. We haven't canceled any of our initiatives due to the absence of an executive team. In-person voting will still be open. We're still running our promotion with CoGrow. Our marketing team is still hard at work running promotions on social media. Obviously, CFRC has been really helpful in promoting some of our messaging. We've got affiliations with faculty societies reminding all their students to vote. So I'm hoping we don't see too much of a dip. And honestly, we had quite an engaging debate with the rectors last night. So that should bring in some students as well. I'm hoping we don't see too much blowback from the absence of an executive team. And honestly, you know, it could have the reverse effect. That would be the hope. Possibly something dramatic during the election will get students' attention and bring them to the polls on February 6th and 7th.
1: Okay, thank you. Now, while we we hope that that is the case, and uh, we do see still a lot of uh, student engagement to elect their next rector, but also decide on uh, particular fees that are um, on the slate this uh, this winter term. Uh, If we can go back for a moment, uh, 23 clubs ran for fees in the fall term, and 11 of them failed because the threshold to pass had climbed to 60% due to the lack of student engagement with voting. Notably, none of the groups that failed in the fall referendum appear on the winter ballot. Uh, If students do not engage with the voting process on February 6th and 7th in the referenda, what recourse do fee-seeking clubs on the referendum ballot, what recourse do they have if they fail due to a lack of student turnout?
2: So I'd first like to clarify the reason for clubs that failed in the fall not appearing on the winter ballot. There is a policy which states that no club may appear in the, no club that fails may appear in the subsequent election. So they do have to take a pause. So the earliest opportunity a club that failed in the fall election would have would be the subsequent fall election. So that's why I know are on this winter ballot. Um, but yeah, no, you're definitely correct. The sliding scale does make it a little bit more difficult for the clubs. However. I will see I've seen a lot more club engagement this election than I felt that I feel like I saw in the fall. I think clubs have done a much better job posting on social media, boothing in Queen Centre, and making use of all of the resources available to them. Their earliest possible opportunity will be the following winter ballot. So that would be um, February 2025. Unfortunately, that's just the way our policy is. I mean, it's a big issue for us, obviously, and it does put a little bit more onus on the club's and it makes it more difficult for them. However, at the end of the day, you know, 100% yes vote would still be 100%. if You know what I mean? If students really believe in a fee, then there will be a high yes turnout. And if students don't believe in a fee and we're getting closer to that 50 or 60% yes, then possibly that does reflect that the fee is just not as appealing to students on campus. And I think students are being a little bit more cautious, especially right now, With cost of living increases and money being an issue for a lot of individuals, I think people are being cautious with how they allocate their funds. And so clubs really do have to work to prove that they deserve that student money. And unfortunately, clubs that don't engage and low voter turnout work harmoniously and clubs lose their fees.
1: Okay. Thank you very much for that now if we can go back calder to uh the february 2023 ams elections which you did mention earlier on when elizabeth mccarg uh withdrew from team era following the release of an image of her engaged in harmful behavior with a racist caption at the ams executive debate last february the remaining team era members ryan chen and alicia parker agreed McCarg should not be on their ballot, but also learned they were unable to run as a slate of two. This is now the second year in a row where slates have been disqualified following the withdrawal of one of the slate members. Why can't teams run as slates of two?
3: I
2: think a large part of the reason that the slate is set as three is because the portfolios of the president and the vice president are enormous. It's a three-person job at minimum for sure. And I think that it does require a lot of collaboration. And so you want to have that chemistry between the three people going into it. And as you see here with Jason, Noah and Nico, like when you're missing that understanding and when you've got differing perspectives, it can lead to issues. And so if you're running as a slate of two and then getting assigned another individual, there is that possibility that the chemistry and the teamwork that's required in order to have a successful term as AMS executive is absent. And then that can result in some really harmful outcomes to students because things will be missed. And we may not just like, there may just be an absence of collaboration leading to gaps in services. And that's not what we'd want at all, which is why the team requirement is in place. We're looking for groups that come together and that have a collective vision and that are all unified and working towards a goal. And I, as much as that could potentially be done, With two and one or three individuals, it makes a lot more sense to come together with a vision and then run because it is such a short term and there's such a time constraint. It would be nice to know in advance what you're getting yourself into and who you're going to be tackling these problems with.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. And now just a couple more questions for you, Calder. Uh, Nico Brassett told us yesterday in an exclusive interview that he had only met his teammates two weeks prior to his own withdrawal from Team J and and indicating that maybe sometimes AMS executive team members may not always know each other, know each other's values and understand each other's vision before uh, running for student office and before carefully strategizing and launching campaigns. With that in mind, why must the AMS executive be elected as a slate? And has the AMS considered moving to the election of individuals to specific roles as the SGPS does.
2: I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but that slate requirement does come from the collaboration that's needed between the members. And I think in the consultation period and in the nomination period, when you're kind of getting to know your teammates, I think that's kind of when you would want to identify. And even before for some groups, right? If you're comfortable working with these individuals that you're running with. Um, At this time, we're not considering moving away from the slate model. I don't want to say one way or another how that will be in the future. I can't, I can't look ahead too much, but as of right now, that's not something we're looking at. I think that the teamwork required is just too critical to kind of put it up to chance and move to nominating individual positions.
1: Okay. Thank you for that. And finally, last question. Uh, I did spend some time this week while doing uh, a fair amount of work undertaking interviews with, uh, with the uh, AMS executive team candidates. Uh, But uh, however, I was looking for information about those candidates on the AMS website. I was also looking for information about the clubs on the AMS website. Uh, Where do people find information about the candidates and the clubs from the AMS that is running these elections and referenda?
2: But generally, we do our best to stay neutral, which is why you wouldn't find a ton of information outside of the actual procedural happenings on the AMS website. Um, The journal, on the other hand, is a great resource. I know they've published candidate profiles for both the rector candidates, and they ran several stories about the executive candidate. And I believe today's print issue or one of the coming ones should have information regarding all the clubs outside of that. I generally think that candidates as well as student activity fee groups do a great job of posting on their social medias about who they are, what they stand for and why you should vote for them. And so I think it does put a little bit more of an onus on students, you know, not having a one stop hub where they can find all the information. But in order to preserve our neutrality, we do need to allow groups to kind of do their own marketing.
1: And thank you to Calder Bryson for joining us on February 2nd for this interview. As of 10 a.m. on February 5th, the Queen's Journal has posted story coverage about the recent rector debate, but has not yet posted information about the student club seeking fees at referendum beginning tomorrow, February 6th. AMS student members seeking information about the student club seeking fees may visit our news page at cfrc.ca to find this information and also listen to our exclusive interviews with student club representatives on CFRC's Campus Beat podcast via Spotify and Apple Music. All AMS members are reminded to check their emails for ballot and voting information and to cast their votes electronically on February 6th and 7th. You can also learn more about the AMS electoral processes by visiting myams.ca dot org.
4: Good evening everyone, my name is Zayton Vergara and stay tuned tonight at 5.30 for your CFRC Sports Rundown. We'll be taking a look all about your Queens, Golden Gales, especially the men's hockey team in light of the Carr Harris Cup coming up. In case you don't know what the Carr Harris Cup is, it is the oldest hockey rivalry in the world, taking place between your Queens, Golden Gales, as well as the RMC Paladins. It's always been a fun matchup. It takes place at the Leon Center, Thursday at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You can get your tickets online. Students, you can go over to gogalesgo.com or head over to The Arc. There's a limited number of free tickets with just a few remaining, so get there as soon as you can. Otherwise, it's gonna be $5 per ticket. And, of course, for everyone else, you can get tickets for $15 or four of them for $45. So go on over to goGalesGo.com and get your tickets before it's too late. And if you can't make it to the action, tune in live here on CFRC. I'll be joined by the one and only Jordan Dax. And the pregame show will be starting extra early at 6 o'clock, as we'll have facts with Dax is the perfect way to lead into the entire historic game and a very historic rivalry. Refocusing on some other sports, we have a breakdown on the women's basketball team as they had their shoot-for-the-cure game and closed out an undefeated weekend with a win over the Waterloo Warriors, 67-42. With men's basketball, we had a 65-106 to victory against the Waterloo Warriors as well, and they have scored 100-plus points in eight consecutive wins. Bouncing back over to hockey, the Kingston Frontenacs hosted the Peterborough Petes, And they had a very much needed 4-2 win as they are able to re-snag a couple of points and get themselves back on track. And we'll have a really big breakdown and hopefully Jordan Dax will be able to join us tonight for a great Frontenacs breakdown. But all this and more at 5.30. I'll see you then. Now we're at Erica Singh with your Campus News Update.
5: Hello, welcome to Campus Corner. My name is Erica Singh, and today I'm joined by Michaela from the AMS. Hi, Michaela. Could you please tell us a bit about your initiative? Absolutely. Thank you for having me today, Erica. Um, so I'm here to speak on the Student Life Center fee, which is going up for referenda uh, tomorrow and February 7th, when voting days take place. So the Student Life Center, for anyone who doesn't know, is comprised of the Queen Center, which is the non-athletic portion of the ARC, the Grey House, and the John Deutsch University Center. Most know it as the JDOC, which is reopening in September 2024. So the SLC is an operational hub overseeing community facing tasks such as room reservations, table bookings, and property management. Um, The underlying goal of the SLC is to enhance the quality of student life on campus and to promote a community between all those who use the spaces um, and providing relevant and accessible information to students who participate in student life. And what is your referendum question? So the question is, do you agree to an increase in the Student Life Center fee from $38.57 to $4,453, an increase of five ninety seven, dollars subject to CPI adjustment? And why should students support your initiative? The SLC is seeking a fee increase um, as there's escalating operational costs for the revitalized JDOC. As we've successfully transformed a once challenging building into a stunning new facility, the facility and financial demands for sustaining it um, are substantially higher. So historically, the JDAC faced infrastructure challenges. Notably, those include inadequate heating, HVAC issues rendering it unsuitable for tenants. Um, So the student fee we propose aims to not only address these challenges, but also fortify the ongoing provision of the high-quality environment for students, clubs, and informal gathering spaces. Um, And your support of, student support of this fee is pivotal in safeguarding the continued success and vibrancy of our esteemed Student Life Center. And how can people vote? So you can either vote online or in person. There's going to be six stations among uh, campus where you'll see AMS employees um, who will not only have giveaway prizes for voting, uh, such as stickers and stress balls and keychains, but uh, you'll also be entered to um, win a giveaway potentially of AirPods, uh, a Dyson Airwrap, or a new Xbox. So there's so many ways to vote. You can also find it through the AMS um, Instagram, it will be in the link tree, and then through your Queens University email. All right, thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you for having me, Erica. And that's all for me today. Thank you so much. Now over to the weather.
0: For your weather report this evening, we're expecting clear skies with winds up to 15 kilometers per hour. We have a low of minus 9, chill near minus 13. For tomorrow, Tuesday the 6th of February, we're expecting sunny skies with winds up to 15 kilometers per hour and a high of 0. Wind chill will be around minus 12 in the morning and we have a UV index of 2 or low. For tomorrow night, we're expecting still clear skies with a low of minus 9. Next up is your CFRC weekly traffic report. This is your CFRC Weekly Traffic Report. Please note that the winter parking ban is still in effect. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. As for road closures, starting off, we have Balaclava Street Bay to Redden, is closed February 6th and 7th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. each day for the removal of a tree by City of Kingston Forestry crews, University Avenue Union to Earl is still closed until May 29th for the Queen's J-Duck project. In other delays, on Queen Street, Montreal to Sydenham, expect an eastbound lane closure in until April 1st. Detours will be in place for the duration of the link closure. Next up is your events calendar with Danielle Draper.
3: And now it's time for the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar for February 5th to 11th. Have an event you'd like covered on our website and news programming? Contact us via cfrc.ca today. On February 5th, registration for summer classes opens on solas for Queen students. Moving on to February 6th, the Tett Center for Teaching and Learning will be hosting an active learning strategies workshop at Matt Corey Hall in room D202 from 1130 a.m. to 1230 p.m. Explore the principles of active learning, troubleshoot ways of adapting instructional strategies, and learn to overcome the architectural limitations of a variety of classroom contexts. To register for free, visit reg.learningstream.com. On February 7th, Real Out Queer Film Festival continues at the Screening Room. To view screening times and purchase tickets, visit ScreeningRoomKingston.com. The last day for the festival is February 10th. Also on February 7th is an open stage drag show at the Grad Club. This event is open to first-time or returning performers who want to get out there and show their stuff. No experience necessary. Covers $5 at the door, cash only. The History Summer Job Fair will be held at Mitchell Hall on February 7th from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. This job fair will bring together a variety of local organizations offering a wide range of summer job opportunities for students interested in local history and Kingston's heritage. No need to register. On February 8th, the Art History and Fine Arts DSCs will be presenting the 2024 Arts Gala at Union Gallery from 6 to 10 p.m. Tickets are $15 and only available to students in art history or fine arts. For more information and to purchase tickets, head to theastastore.com. February 9th and 10th is the 5th Annual Queen's Conference on Indigenous Reconciliation, focusing on reconciliation in business and law. To see the locations of the events and a detailed itinerary, purchase tickets at eventbrite.com. The Queen's University Department of Art History and Art Conservation's Graduate Visual Culture Association will be hosting the 23rd Annual Context and Meaning Graduate Student Conference from February 9th to February 10th. This year's conference seeks to facilitate discussions regarding how time is experienced and constructed, how we view the past through a contemporary lens, and how artworks, images, and other objects of visual culture mediate history. The conference will take place at Agnes Etherington Arts Center on February 9th and over Zoom on February 10th. To register for free, visit www.gvca.ca. On February 10th, head over to the rehearsal hall at the Tett Center for Creativity and Learning for their One Day Pottery Odds, Ends, and Imperfections Sale. The sale takes place from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Also on the 10th is the 15th annual Valentine's Slow Dance taking place at the Grad Club from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. Formal dress is encouraged, but not necessary. Tickets are $25 and can be purchased at Eventbrite.com. This event is 19+. Part of Union Gallery's annual fundraiser, Side by Side, is its live ticketed event taking place on Zoom February 10th at 7 p.m. All ticket holders claim an artwork, but the order in which they select is left up to chance. All funds raised directly support Union Gallery's not-for-profit mission and programming. Purchase tickets at www.zeffy.com. And lastly, on February 11th, head to YGK Combatives from 1 to 2 p.m. for women's intro to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a form of submission grappling that incorporates aspects of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, and wrestling. To register for free, visit ygkcombativesgroup.com. And moving into our concerts for the week, on February 5th, there are no concerts scheduled. On February 6th, Tom Savage will be hosting an afternoon happy hour jam at the RCHA Club. This is an open mic jam with Tom Savage and friends where everyone is welcome. The event is free and runs from 4 to 7 p.m. On February 7th, head over to the Musiki Cafe and Whiskey Bar at 8 p.m. to see Frank Ryan perform. This event is pay what you want by donation to the musicians. You must be 19 plus to attend. On February 8th, Spencer Evans and the Goat Steppers will be performing at the RCHA Club from 7 to 10 p.m. for free. Also, on the 8th, head to the Royal Tavern for free karaoke at 8pm. You must be 19 plus to attend. Moving on to February 9th, Excuses Excuses will be performing with support from Melancholy Caravan and The Petras at The Mansion. The show starts at 8pm and you must be 19 plus to attend. Tickets are $15 and can be purchased at the TheMansion.rocks Craig Cardiff, a singer-songwriter known throughout Canada, will be performing at Musiki Cafe on February 9th at 6pm. Tickets are $28.25 and can be purchased at Eventbrite. Doors open at 5pm. On February 10th, Brother Elsie and Guests will be performing at the Broom Factory from 7:30 to 10 p.m. This is an all-ages event. Tickets are $20 and can be purchased at ticketcene.ca. Also on the 10th, Doug Vanderhorden will be performing at the Embassy Live Music Cafe from 7 to 9:30 p.m. Cover is $10 and doors open at 7. This is an all-ages event. Over at the mansion, indie band Rexford Drive will be performing with support from the Backsteps and Skeleton Park Radio on February 10th from 8.30 to 11.30pm. Tickets are just $10 and may be purchased at Linktree slash Rexford Drive. You must be 19 plus to attend. And lastly, on February 11th, head over to the Tucan at 11.30pm for a free 19 plus karaoke event. This has been Danielle with your event and concerts calendar for February 5th to 11th, wishing you all a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. To revisit episodes of Today in YGK and hear more from some of our guests, you can head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Today in YGK is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and The Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.